falling all to pieces much like we do sometimes. In a time whenever he would be literally throwing his hands up and quitting and, and despairing and all of this kind of stuff. After all, his son's trying to kill him. And he's serious about it. And his son's got his kingdom. And he's fleeing. He's running. And yet in the midst of all of this, the psalmist penned one of the greatest psalms that's ever been written. In the midst of it, we begin to see the heart of David and just perhaps one of the, what made him such a great king. Oh, I, I know he falls and I know he sinned and I know he failed in some ways, but I want you to know something. Over in the book of Acts, the Bible said that David was a man after God's own heart. And one of the things that made him so great was the way he looked at things and, and some things that he did in the midst of a very troubled, troubled, discouraging time. As I was preparing this, I couldn't help but think about many in our church and different things going on in their lives. And the truth of the matter is, we would probably be shocked if we knew all that was going on in everybody's life, even this evening. Yet in, the, in that hour, David, David wrote a, 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 um, a wonderful psalm. And now, one of the things that he did in this psalm was this, and don't, I don't want you to miss this, is that it is progressive. In other words, he has a... As he begins to do some things, it progresses. It doesn't, it doesn't stay stagnant. It progresses as you go through the psalm. So tonight, let me give you three things in this psalm that I see and, and trust that they'll be a blessing to you as first. First of all, we see David's search for God. Notice what he said. Oh God, thou art my God. Now let me just stop right there. You, you've got no right to call him your God if he's not your God. Good place to start is the fact that he's your God. And if he's not your God tonight, he needs to be your God. Apart from him being your God, now you say, well, if, if God's not my God then who is my God? Well, the Bible says you serve the devil. Because really, there's just two. And so he says, Oh God, thou art my God. I, I like that. In other words, he's taking possession and ownership of the fact that Jehovah God is his God. Oh, if we knew that, if we really knew that, it would change our lives. And so he said, early will I seek thee. First thing I see as David begins to search for God, it's an early search. The word early and seek both have the ideal of, of a period belonging to the morning. And I don't know, you may not be a morning person. There's some folks that are morning people, and some folks are, are not people. Amen. I understand that. But there is something 
about the freshness of a morning that nothing else can take the place of. I, I, would, even, I would even go so far as to say this. If I wasn't a morning person, I would become a morning person just to get the freshness of a day. I really would. There is something about that early morning. I, I, I could imagine David as he's, as he's running and he's fleeing and his son is God's kingdom and, and he knows his son. He, he knows his son will kill him if he catches up with him. But I see him as he wakes before dawn and as the, as the sun starts breaking across the hills and, and starts coming through and it's early in the morning. I love this. He says, I believe this is a good time to seek God. First thing he does. Now you say, preacher, what's that mean? It means this. It means this. When you have a troublesome time, a discouraging time, the greatest thing you can do is not when you're halfway through it, not when you're at the end of the day, but early in the morning, early in that time, run to God with it. Amen? Isn't it amazing? Is it not amazing? We usually run to God when we've done finagled and figured and done everything we know to do and we're worn out and we've done give up on it. And then we say, well, I guess we better just run to God. Why not give Him the early search? He's early searching for Him. Proverbs 8, 17, I love them that love me, and those that seek me early shall find me, Proverbs writer said. Psalmist said, My voice shall thy cure in the morning, O Lord. And in the morning will I direct my prayer unto thee, and I will look up. Number one is an early search. Number two, it was an earnest search. Notice, my soul thirsteth for thee, my flesh longest for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. The words thirsteth and longeth, both out of the word of panting after. And, and, and it's, it's, more, it's more than just wanting something. It is longing. It is really, really wanting something. It is, a, it is a search, an earnest search of, 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 of passion, saying, I want to earnestly seek Him. And it's an earnest search. My soul thirsteth. I fear one of the reasons we truly don't get as much of God as we want, we're not thirsty for Him. We're not hungry for Him. How many of you, well, some of you ladies may not, but I like to watch boxing, amen? And uh, one of the things in, that uh, uh, I hear these, these coaches saying and, and the trainers saying, they'll make statements like this, he's hungry, he's hungry for this, he's hungry for this. What he's just saying is there's a desire there that, that, that motivates him because he's Thirsty for something. He's hungry for something. The sun is here. Now keep in mind the backdrop. His son's trying to get... He's lost his key. He's fleeing in a wilderness. In a desert place. He said, there ain't no water here, but 
The water for my body's not what I need. I need God. He's a thirsty and a, and a longing for Him. Not only that, but David said, My soul and my flesh has the ideal of not only not in his not fleshly body he was seeking for God, but spiritually he was seeking for God. Tonight, odds are you would get just what you came seeking for. You know what I said? Some of you get exactly what you come seeking for. How many of you have been here in body, but your soul's been somewhere else? A couple of times in service in the last seven weeks, well, I've just stopped the service. And I've said, okay, I need you here. And some of them looked at me like, I'm here. No, you're not. I can tell by your eyes. You're somewhere, but you're not here. Amen. God said, he said, I want you physically. I want you spiritually. So it was an earnest search. Not only that, but it was an eager search. He said, I, I need to see something, God. He said, I need to see thy power and thy glory. So as I've seen thee in the sanctuary. I love this. He said, now God, I'm coming with an expectation. He said, I'm, I'm out here in the wilderness. I can't go to church. I can't go to a sanctuary to worship. But I like this. He said, but God, you're not limited to a sanctuary. I want to see your power and your glory here. Sometimes the greatest place you'll ever see God's in the middle of your wilderness. Sometimes the greatest place you'll see God is in the middle of your storm. Sometimes the greatest place you'll see God is right in the middle of your heartache. I love this. He said, he was an eager search. I mean, he was eager. Psalmist said this in 27.4, One thing have I desired the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord, and to inquire his temple. Please don't, don't miss this. I'm, not believing, I'm so glad you're here tonight. we got a good crowd for a Wednesday night. And I'm very thankful for that. But let me tell you when we'll appreciate it. We'll appreciate it today we can't go. We'll appreciate it today that church, we want to be in church, but we can't get there either physically or for whatever reason. You say, preacher, you believe that day may come? I believe it may very well come. For Jesus takes us out of here. And in that day, we're going to understand how glorious, how wonderful. He said this in 84.1, How admirable are thy tabernacles, O Lord of hosts. My soul longeth, yea, even fainteth for the courts of the, of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cries out for the living God. Don't miss this. If you get this tonight, and I had somebody on mine today, and I'm, they're, they're, they're in a battle of their life right now. They're in the battle of their life. And I, I, I'm so hoping they would be here tonight. Here's why. If you miss everything I tell you this evening, if you'll get this, it'll be the greatest thing you've ever learned. It is in the regular, mundane worship that prepares us for the crisis experiences of life.
David didn't learn this when he got in the wilderness. He learned this while he's at the sanctuary, while he's at the temple, while he's at there, while he's there on a Sunday night service, while he's there on a Wednesday night service, while he's there in his place on a Sunday morning, while he's there at Sunday school. It is there you learn, you learn the experiences, you learn about God that when the crisis times comes, and they'll come to all of our lives. You understand they'll come to all of our lives? And if they've not come yet, hang on, they'll show up. Hang on, they'll, they'll show up somewhere. And when they do, what you've learned here tonight, God brings back to memory. And in the midst of your crisis, you can go to God and say, God, I need to see your power and your glory as I did in the sanctuary. Now hold it. Don't miss this. If you're not in the sanctuary, you can't say that. You can't reference that point. You can't, uh, you can't run back to that in the crisis times because it's only in the, in, in, in the regular sanctuary time that David, I, I think David, he's running now, he's fleeing for his life. But now he's running back to the, to the sanctuary when they, when they started seeing how great God was. And he was just singing over there. He thought, man, that's a great service. But now in the wilderness, it's really a great service. Because now he needs the God that he worshipped there. I, I'm not, not, don't boo me out. Don't, don't boo me out with this, okay? I am not one bit, don't get alarmed with your praising God, shouting whatever. As long as when the crisis comes, you can. Elijah was nine months old. And most of you know this story. But some of you don't know it. Some of you forgotten. And uh, how many of you like me? You can watch reruns all the time because by the time you watch them the next time, you never forgot what happened. You know, you watched it, but you forgot what happened. I mean, it's like that. Ain't that awful? And Elijah uh, was nine months old, and he had, a, a course, cancer and had the Wims tumor, and was in Baptist, and they took out his kidney and, and all that stuff. And uh, I never forget one day the doctor came in, and, and uh, I, they had moved Elijah into a room with this other lady, had a little girl, and a little girl, this woman come in, she said, but they've lied to me, and, uh, and they, they told me my little girl's going to get better, and now she's going to die, and, and man, we got all tore up, we got all upset. Dr. Letton come in, that was his doctor, and I mean, I'm just going to be honest, we'd, we'd been there, we was tired, we was worn out, I just, we just unloaded, I just fell apart on him. I just unloaded on him, I mean, just screaming at this man, you know, Why, don't, don't lie to me, don't, you know, just tell us the truth, and and I, I'll never forget, he, he, he went and he spent two hours researching both cases, put them side by side and showing to us why they were not the same. But I'll never forget the greatest time. Right after that, I went down to the chapel. No, you'll never forget how much I wanted to be in church. 
how much I long to be in church. Now I went down to the chapel, and I remember praying this prayer, God, I need you. We've got to see your power. God, we've got to see you now. You know what? God did exactly that. But I want you to know something. You don't get that in the crisis times if you don't learn about the God in the regular times. See, tonight, you don't want, I don't know if we quite grasp it. Somebody said, well, boy, that's a great service. Another Wednesday night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay, good. See, what you don't understand is you don't know next week you might need this very service. You might need it next month. It might be a year from now, but you're going to need what God has for you. So number one, David searched for God. I love this. David's satisfaction in God. Now, notice the progression. If you sincerely search for him, I promise you, you'll find him satisfying. How many of you understand we live in the most dissatisfied world we've ever been in in our life? Amen. I, I don't know. It, it's amazing. It's amazing. Most people are very dissatisfied. Psalmist said, Because thy loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise thee. Thus will I bless thee while I live. I will lift up mine hands in thy name. My soul, my soul shall be satisfied with marrow and fatness. Now, and my lips shall praise thee with joyful lips. One of the things that we understand when we read the Bible, you say, well, what's so good about marrow? Marrow is where your red blood cells are formed that gives you life. Fatness is God blessing. The word fatness in the Bible always speaks of being blessed. Here's what he's just simply saying. He's simply saying, he said, my soul shall be satisfied with my life because you're going to bless me. That's what he says. I love this. When I remember thee upon my bed and meditate on thee in the night watch, number one, he's satisfied in the nature of God. Notice the word loving kindness. Speaks of who he is, his nature. It means goodness, kindness, mercy of God. See, one of the things that happens when you're in the discouraging trials is there's this great danger of saying, God, you're not being good. God, you're not good. God, you're not treating me right. God, you're not good. God, this ain't right. That's the great danger in a trial or being discouraged or a despairing time. Here's what he's saying. Psalmist said, I sought him early. He said, I was earnest about it. I was eager. And he said, what I found out was I was satisfied with him. He said, I was satisfied because of his nature, his loving kindness. Not only that, he said, I'm satisfied with the name of God. I love this. That's why I bless thee while I live. I will lift up my hands in thy name. The word implies when he thinks about him, he's going to worship. It has the ideal 
that God's name moves him to want to worship. I said earlier, glory to God, that's good, hallelujah, he's worthy of that. But when you're in the fight of your life, can you do that? In the trial of your life, glory to his name, in the trial, discouraging, desert, dry times, glory to his name. Can you do it then? That's what he's saying. He's saying, I'm satisfied in his name. He has no priest. He has no altar. He has no church. He has no one to go to. So you know what he does? He holds his own hands up and says, Blessed be his name. There's going to be... Slap yourself good. If you have got to have somebody always holding your hands up. And I'm glad that we got people that can, and we should. We all do all we can to hold up one another's hands. I thank God for that. What are you going to do when you're in a desert place and the preacher ain't there, mom and daddy ain't there, my brothers ain't there, my sisters ain't there, I've got no one. What are you going to do? What are you going to do then? What are you going to do when you're in the midst of that trial that nobody in the world can quite grasp it because they've not lived it? How many understand what I'm talking about? I've been, I, I have some trials as a pastor because you're not the pastor that you, you're not going to grasp. I, I just got to love this. I got to tell this story. I think the Lord has a wonderful sense of humor. I think he's so wonderful. I, I've been an upholstery supervisor for years. And these drag stretchers around here, you know, they, they, uh, they used to aggravate me and talk about how, how easy I had it and they'd done all the work. So God gives one of them a supervisor's job. Isn't he wonderful? Hallelujah. You know why? Because he could get to experience what it means to work those rag stretchers. And up, he's going to know now firsthand how abusive they were. Matter of fact, all the folks are going to give supervisors $100 just, for, just because. Amen. And I, I love that because he's going to experience now something he's never done. But what do you do? When you're experiencing it and you're all by yourself. The psalmist here has no one. And I love this. Right in the middle of this, he said, I ain't got anybody around me. He said, My own son's trying to kill me. He's took my kingdom. We're running, we're fleeing. Here's what he does he holds his hands up and says, God, you're still good. God, you're still good. I bless your name. That's what he does when there's no one else around. I love that. Hear the voice of my supplication when I cry unto thee. And I lift up my hands towards thy holy oracles. First Timothy 2 8. I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Not don't miss. He's satisfied during the night with God. My soul shall be satisfied with marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise thee with joyful lips. 
When I remember thee upon my bed and meditate on thee in the night watches. David, because he learned to seek God early when the night watches come, there was three, there was three night watches in that day. The first night watch was from sunset to 10 o'clock. Lamentation 2.19, Arise, cried in the night, in the beginning of the watches, pour out thine heart like water before the face of the Lord. Lift up thine hands towards him, towards him for the lips of the young children that faint for hunger in the top of every street. There is the middle watch from 10 to 2 o'clock in the morning. Judges 7.19, So Gideon and the hundred men that were with him came up to the outside of the camp in the beginning of the middle watch. And they had but newly set the watch, and they blew the trumpets and break the pitchers that were in their hands. But there was a third night watch. It's called the morning watch from 2 to sunrise. And it came to pass that in the morning watch that the Lord looked upon the host of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and of the cloud and troubled the host of the Egyptians. First Samuel 11, 11, it was so in the morning that Saul put the people in three companies. And they came into the midst of the host in the morning watch and slew the Ammonites until the heat of the day. And it came to pass that they which remained were scattered so that two of them were not left together. David, when he woke in the morning, the first thing, early, I will seek thee. And in the night watches, he said, I meditated on my God. I believe what he's saying there is this. There's going to be a fever you're not always at night. There's a, a sickness. Those of you who have children, isn't it amazing? It's almost always at night. Those times in life when the night watches comes because he said, early I will seek thee. Early. He said, when the early, then when the night watches come, and I believe he said, any one of those sunset to sunrise is a night watch and he said I'd meditate on the Lord I want you to understand something tonight all of us if we live are going to have some night watches I've seen a many a night matter of fact I preached on this at Canaan Baptist Church I preached in this passage and the only time I ever preached at Canaan, and y'all might have been there. I'm a thinking you were. And uh, I preached on the night watches. And what motivated me to preach that, I'd been at the hospital all night with my mom, all night long. And in the middle of the night, I read that passage, and I got to thinking about God and how good God was. And so in the night watches, so number one, there's David's search for God. There's David's satisfaction in God. Number three, David's strength in God. Because thou hast been my help, therefore in the shadow of thy wings will I rejoice. My soul followeth hard after thee. My right hand upholdeth me. But those that seek my soul shall destroy it, shall go into the lower parts of the earth. They shall fall by the sword, and they shall be a portion for foxes, but the king shall rejoice in God, and every one that squareth by him shall glory. 
but the mouth of them that speak lies shall be stopped. First of all, he said, I found strength in God's presence because thou hast been my help. Therefore, in the shadow of thy wings will I rejoice. Shadow of the wings refers to that secret place that David often spoke of. He, he discovered the presence of God in a secret place. Tonight, my prayer is this, that every person, every person, even you young people, need to have a place that you go to talk to God. Every person here needs to have a secret place. Where you don't go to be seen, you don't go to to be noticed. You don't you, you don't you don't have to worry about what anybody thinks about anything. You just go to that place, and you ought to visit that place every day. And you ought to have a place that ought to be called your secret place. You ought to have a secret place because in that place, when you least expect it, God's going to show up. I learned this years ago, and I'll just share this quickly. Every day at Knob Creek Furniture Company, I would leave and go up to the little church we went to, and every day at lunchtime, I would pray. It took me seven minutes to get there. It took me, I'd eat my sandwich on the way up, and I could pray for, 50, for about 10, 12 minutes, and I would drive back and be back at work in time to start back to work. And every day... I would go up out of that little church and I would pray. And here's what I learned while I was there. Some days I would walk in and pray and it seemed like the heavens was brass bubbling a million miles. But some days I'd walk in and I'm honest, it seemed like God had just filled the whole room. And those times, they wasn't, they wasn't every day. But they was enough, they were enough that I got to where I looked forward to wondering, God show up today? Boy, I'd go in there and God would just be bigger than life. It would be amazing how that, because you know what? He found God's presence in that secret place. He realized God's strength. God's strength is in his presence. Psalmist said he made darkness his secret place. He's pavilion round by him with dark waters and thick clouds of the skies. Psalms 91.1, He that dwelt in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Every Christian, every Christian ought to have a secret place to run to God to. Not only that, he got strength found in God's protection. My soul falleth hard after thee, my right hand upholdeth me. Though that seek my soul shall destroy it, shall go into the lower parts of the earth. Some people criticize David for wanting his enemies destroyed here, but I want to tell you today something. Here's what he just said. God's going to be my protection. God's going to be my protection. He wouldn't fight his own son. But he did turn his son over to God and say, God, you deal with him. You touch it. You deal with it. What a great day in your life 
when you quit fighting the battles and you believe God to fight those battles. Oh, I love this. 2 Samuel 18, 6, So the people went out in the field against Israel, and the battle was in the woods of Ephraim. When the people of Israel were slain before the servant of David, there was great slaughter that day of 20,000 men. God's going God's to take care of it. God did take care of it. The hand of God always speaks of his authority and his power and his dominion. Then he found strength in God's prevention. But the king shall rejoice in God. And everyone that scribed by him shall glory. But the mouth of them that speak lies shall be stopped. Closing verses, David, although a king on the run, although a king without a throne, although a king without a kingdom, he's still a king in rejoicing in his God. Those that told lies about David and uh, literally having slandered his name, uh, he said, oh, God will take care of him. God will deal with that. I love this poem I found, and I pray that it will uh, resonate with you as well. Early will I seek thee in the dawning of the day. I will bow my head to pray. Let me start over. Early will I seek thee in the dawning of the day. And with my heart so ever ready, I will bow my head to pray. In the stillness of the morning, when the grass is wet with dew, as the night is quickly fading, I will turn my thoughts to you. And when the world around me hushes, and the turmoil seems to cease, I will waken in the morning to a soul so filled with peace. And when the sun is gently rising in the coolness of the day, I will seek thee in the morning with my head bowed down to pray. Then my Marlene Ferguson. Early will I seek thee. I started this tonight with this. If I wasn't a morning person, I would become a morning person that I might early seek him. Matter of fact, every Christian here tonight, if you know God as your Savior, if you know God as your Savior, there ought to be in every person's heart a seeking of God, especially now before the wilderness time comes and the heartache comes. Because when it does come, if you've learned to seek him early now, when that time comes, it becomes natural to seek him. I'm going to ask you a question. When you have turmoil, when you have a trial, when, you have this, when you're despairing, when you're in trouble, what do you say? What do you run to? What do you do? Do you try to finagle it out? Try to figure it out. I'm a master at that. Do you try to fix it? I'm a master at that. Do you do you try to work it out yourself? How's that going? How's that doing? Where's my alternative? Won't you early begin to seek him? Oh God, 
my God. Early will I seek thee. Do you need to begin now seeking him? That's what you do in your life. Let's all stand to our feet. Every head bowed and every eye closed.